Hello, everybody. Hey, I'm Matt. I'm Zach. And we are MZ Car Guys. Welcome to our new podcast. Absolutely. I'm uh, going to kind of have to forgive me. I am overcoming the flu. Um, so uh, there might be, I might have a little bit of a deeper voice than I normally do. Uh, so anyways, uh, yeah, find us on social media, uh, MZ Car Guys. Um, and uh, you can obviously find us on anchor.fm forward slash MZ Car Guys. And if you want to, at uh, mzcarguys at gmail.com. Um, Matt, I think we're finishing up the Germans, aren't we? Yeah, uh, I think we need to uh, move on to the, the very first German company alphabetically, which is, of course, Audi, uh, which I think can be summed up by saying that really it's just sort of the Acura of the German brands. So on to Porsche. And uh, yeah, really, I exactly. think uh, Ferdinand Porsche is, you know, a very important historical figure, and uh, he did a lot to, uh, to take the uh, the Volkswagen Beetle and uh, and its Nazi past and make a sports car out of it. Well, I, it's it's a little bit more complicated than that, and I think oh, Ferdinand Porsche is a little bit is 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 a lot more complicated than that. So so to me, in um when when you have of of all of the uh, of of the scientists who came out of uh, Nazi Germany. Um, who would have an impact on other uh, that that would have a, a continuing impact on people's lives uh, for the better um, afterwards um, the two that stand out to me the most are Werner von Braun um, rocketry rocketry basically all of NASA was, you know, and the and, and and everything was built on his research and development, and everything like that of the V two rockets. Um, and you have uh, Porsche, um, who, and and let's get this out of the way. It is pronounced Porsche. Yeah, it's not French. It is Austrian. Porsche. Now, if Por- you want to be glib, and, if you want to be derivative. And, and to the point of where Porsche actually has a YouTube video on how to pronounce it. I forgot about that. <clears throat> so, yeah. Now, if you want That's, to be glib, uh, if, you, if you want to be sarcastic, then you can say, hey, ice Porsche. But you know, what are you doing? I am. Uh, I didn't realize I was coming through the mic. I'm so sorry. I'm done. <laughs> so I will. I will spare the readers or the listeners. I'm sorry. The uh, are the you horrible... pumping up a bike tire? No, actually, it's um, the the seat cushion in my chair is inflatable, and it was obscenely low. It was unusable. And I just found the pump for it. As Folks, you're 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 hearing this the same time as I am. Matt has an inflatable seat. <laughs> it's 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 one of those yoga balls that sits inside of a plastic seat, and it's fantastically comfortable when it's inflated. 
but it wasn't inflated. No, no. Uh, okay. Okay, r- real quick. I have to get this out of the way. While we're Moving talking on. about things in my house, real quick. Okay. I'm currently imprisoned by Girl Scout cookie boxes. Oh, oh, my, yeah, it's my, we're, they're, uh, my two daughters, uh, they're being picked up on uh, Friday. Uh, it is yeah. claustrophobic in this, in, in my living room. Oh, yeah. Well, this is the, this is the cookie box this year. So, 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 so what you need to understand, folks, is, um, so my daughters are older. I have a four, seem to be 11 year old. And then Matt, I, I, your youngest, your, your, your daughter is six. six. Daisies. So this is like, so, so this is, so what I've been experiencing for the last three years, Matt's now, this is his first year. Yeah. And, uh, and, and if anybody out there understands this, you know, I mean, anyways. Okay. It, it, it's so, last thing I promise. The cardboard boxes are these gaudy, you know, single color panels of either green or orange or blue or yellow, whatever they are, right? There's so many yeah. of them. The other last night, I was trying to watch TV, and my remote control signal couldn't get to the television because the boxes <laughs> were away. <laughs> oh, jeez. No, okay. let luckily, yeah. Okay, anyway. now, there's no segue for that, but we should go back to Porsche. No. And, uh, we, we can start with but, yeah, but, very briefly. But, but one of the interesting things of, you know, we, we touched on Werner von Braun and his contribution later on after, after World War II. And, and, and Ferdinand Porsche's contribution to, uh, to, to things later on um, goes, you know, yeah, he, he, um, he did do uh, the vast majority of the design work. Um, on what would later become the Volkswagen Beetle, um, you know the the rear engine, rear drive, air cooled layout, um, a uh, design. Some people say is specific to Volkswagen. Other people say it was kind of maybe stolen. Um, but uh, but the interesting thing is is that Porsche is is not an automobile company um which hold on it's it is a it's an engineering company who happens to make automobiles um now in my automotive parts history in 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 my previous life as 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 a person who worked at a dealership for automotive parts um one of our car lines was porsche and that was a distinction that they very much ingrained in us um, is that Porsche is, is an engineering company. And so every single thing that they look at, every single thing that they do um, comes from Ferdinand Porsche's uh, j- just his, his love of engineering first. Um, and I think one of the best examples of this is his very forward-thinking ideas on tanks. And what I mean by that is one of, one of the hardest things that they had uh, during World War II was 
uh, how to operate a tank. What's the most effective way to operate a tank? And um, one of the things that Porsche found out um, was he, he had this idea to, uh, to, to create a diesel-electric hybrid, um, which we would later see in the vast majority of a lot of other things, uh, ships, uh, trains, stuff like that. Um, you know, so his whole thought was, well, I can get more instant torque and more control over the maneuvering out of an electric drive and using the diesel to, to, to do that. Um, you know, and so, so that, that, that's just kind of one of those things where, you know, you, you just kind of go at it from there. But one of the things that I think is the most that that's the funniest is when they first developed in the uh, in, in 1954 um, they, when, when they first created the, uh, the, the, the 356 um, is that a lot of people were kind of like, who is this, this, this car company, Porsche. And so they actually had to, and some of their advertising used the, uh, what was at the time becoming, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, I'm, I'm still on decongestion. Um, what at the time was considered uh, a very, uh, reliable vehicle, which was the Volkswagen Beetle, and the fact that the 356, a lot of its design, and even some of its components, whether or not they want to admit it, um, were from the Beetle. And so they used some some of the some of the Volkswagen Beetle in their advertisements to kind of show, hey, look, you know. W- we're, we're part of the same DNA. So. So real quick, I want to talk about um, tanks for just a second, because I think it really shows uh, a lot of insight into Ferdinand Porsche's mindset. Um, yeah. So, when, so Porsche developed a, uh, a tank prototype that he called the Porsche Tiger and uh, to bring to the German government to try and get the contract yeah. for it. And he lost. Uh, the contract instead was given to someone called Henschel and Son. And they had a tank that they called the Tiger One, very similar name. Yep. So Porsche said, "Very good tank, very good tank, the Tiger One." So Mr. Porsche said, uh, "Well, we don't we don't quite like this at all, but I know exactly how tanks are made because we did one. So I will make a thing that I will call the Panzerjäger Elephant, which translates to Tank Hunter Elephant or Tank Destroyer." Oh, I'm looking at a picture of the blasted thing. Holy cow! It looks extremely modern, uh, by, even by today's standards. I mean, almost stealthy the way the uh, the way the angles are on the turret and everything. So he said, "Okay, if you won't buy my tank, I'll make a vehicle that will destroy your tank." Look at that gun! 
the the uh, the the barrel is uh, is is quite impressive. Um, the other thing, real briefly, is that I bet you say that's all the guy is. Uh, what what is the main thing that the Porsche company and Lamborghini have in common? And don't say uh, the- no 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 um, farm farm equipment. They both made tractors. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and, and one of the recent uh, Luftgekult, uh, uh shows, they actually had a uh, Porsche tractor race around Laguna Seca. Or Porsche, not Laguna Seca. Yeah. And of course, one of the founders won, but he's a race car driver, Patrick Long. Um, he's the only Porsche Works driver who lives in America. Uh, and I hear he's, he's quite the dapper fellow. Um, so the 356 was essentially a sportier Volkswagen, right? With a, was it ever a coupe or was it always an open top? Um, I, I think it was available in both. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think actually, origi- I think originally it was a coupe and, and then went to, I mean, and, and, and you're going to have to, and, and everybody's going to have to kind of go with me just a little bit or just kind of I, I apologize up front I'm not too much of a Porsche fan and, I, and I'll, I'm going to explain later why I, I appreciate what Porsche is and what Porsches are um, but I, I it does not instill in me the 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 it, it doesn't stir emotions in me. Porsches James never. May. I'm sorry. The James May fizzies. It doesn't give you the fizzies. It's a, yeah. It absolutely. They, they Porsches do not give me the fizzies. They never have. Yeah. Never have. They're super fast. They are. In anyways, let's we'll we'll, we'll get into it later. Right, right. So one thing I want to mention real quick, if anybody's not familiar, Brentside Drunk Street, everyone is, um, just off the top of their head with a 356, um, then people of a certain age will remember it best as the car that uh, Charlie from uh, the female instructor in Top Gun drove um, in the film and uh, drove it faster than I think any 356 had been driven in real life that wasn't modified. Yeah. Up and down the uh, the hills of northern San Diego. But uh, yeah. But yeah I mean, you know, it's it's not a bad car. Um, James Dean was killed in the heavily modified one. Um, yep. One shy speedster. Pure race car. Yeah. What was it? Little bastard. I think it was. Was the nickname for it. Ah, uh, yeah. So you know, it's, it's got quite a history. Um, Janice Joplin had one that she had painted, um, in the style of the day, not too dissimilar from John Lennon's Rolls Royce. Uh, it was very pretty too. Oh, gorgeous car. Gorgeous car. Oh, yeah, I, I love. I, I, so to me, so there the the two Porsches that 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 are caveats to my previous statement of Porsches don't give me. So the two Porsches that do give me the fizzies, and there and there are only two. Um, one is an open top three fifty six. Um, just because there's just something just real basic and primal about the thing. Uh, the other is the Carrera GT. 
and I and 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 I've come to understand the reason why for both of them is because there's this overall balance of the shape um, that is just super appealing to that me. Carrera is gorgeous. Yeah, the Carrera GT is just uh, well more top down than top up, but even so, yeah, just a gorgeous car. Um, so you know what I find really striking just real quickly about the Carrera GT is the Carrera GT looks like the 918 Spider would have if it spent less time in a wind tunnel. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's gorgeous. It's, it's incredible. I mean, the 918 Spider is great, but the proportions are clearly, there's a clinicalness. There's a, there's a scalpel-like precision to the car that says speed first, screw you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my Google well, images, and... the third row, has a picture of the two of them side by side, and it's just, it's so clear which one is which. <coughs> yeah. Sorry, anyway. Well, but in, in, and it kind of goes to, you know, to himself. I mean, he, he came from, it was, it was a fairly wealthy family um, in, in Bavaria. Um, and so it, it's, it's interesting that, um, sorry, in the, it, uh, in Bohemia, not, but um, but he he was always messing with things and and tweaking things and and moving things around, you know, and just all of this other stuff. And you could see how this kind of got passed on to his son because. The reality is, is that Ferdinand Porsche, yes, he's the one who really started Porsche. I mean, that's that's the name, but it's his son who really kind of pushed it into, you know, to 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 what we know and understand today. And who is this? You know, uh, Fairy Porsche. Hmm. Okay. F-E-R-R-Y, Fairy Porsche. Well, it's really interesting because, uh, okay, real quick um, bit here. In 1972, the company's legal form was changed from Commandant Gelstaft, or Limited Partnership, to Octi and Gelstaft, or limited public company, because Ferry Porsche came to believe the scale of the company outgrew a family operation, especially yeah. after learning about Soichiro Honda's no family members in the company policy at Honda. Yeah. Um, and members including F.A. Porsche and Ferdinand Pike left the company. Ferdinand Pike, uh, sorry, Peak, I apologize. P-I-E-C-H. I think he became a bigger deal later. That name sounds familiar. Uh, Under Volkswagen. Well, I I believe Ferry Porsche is the one who originally came up with the design of the original 911. 
Yes, that's right. Yeah. And, and one, but but Porsche said no no zeros in the middle. Yeah. So but Which, um as Jeremy Clarkson said hasn't changed in fifty years. Well, and that's the okay. And that's the one thing that I really want to talk about. The thing that I kind of think that, you know, it's everything about, and I'm just going to call it the Carrera because the, the to, to call to call them all 911s to me is, um, it's too broad. It's, it's, it, well, it's, it's kind of juvenile because it's not a 911. Because even the new, "Quote unquote 911s aren't 911s. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? They're well, well because not everyone has the same level of, you know, history base that. Yeah, well, I mean, so like currently, um, let's see here. It's uh, that's that's the newest one. I think it's the 998, right? No, 992. Was it 992? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, the yeah, the nine nine two. And and so you know that that is what it is. It's a nine nine two. But everybody just calls it a nine eleven just because oh. it's kind of like just this blanket the, statement. That, that that's the chassis designation for the nine eleven. So But it but it isn't called nine eleven. That's the thing. Well it is if you go to Porsche.com. Well, that's because they finally got fed up and said, "Fine, whatever." Because it's the nine eleven GT three, nine eleven GT two, etc. Yeah. Anyways, so every everything. All right, so fine. Let's just call it the nine eleven then. So is it, we're just as plain right. Jane as everybody else, including Porsche's own website. <clears throat> the the number one problem that I have. And probably the, the thing that um, explains the most of why I don't get <coughs> the fizzies when it comes to the 911 is it, it's very much been a, a work in progress over several decades. Because the early 911s were just about death traps because everything about the physics of the vehicle oh yeah uh, went contrary to it, it, it went contrary to, to what you want to do so for instance so my my uncle uh my my late uncle pat um, he was talking to me about the fact that he used to have uh, a uh, an early seventies nine eleven, and he said it was really weird because when you go into a corner hard, because of where the engine is, which it sits behind the rear axle. Um. And the fact that you have very little weight in the front, he said when you had a full gas tank, because the gas tank sat basically in the front of the car, right over top of your legs and stuff, 
He said, when, when you had a full tank of gas, it, it, it handled fine. As soon as it dropped below half a tank, he said it would get just ridiculously squirrely. Oh, yeah. He said, you went into, if you, he said, and, and if you went into a corner really hard, you would feel the back end start to slide around. Now, every single person on this planet, their first instinct when something like that happens is to let up off the gas. Right. Which does what physically-wise? Which, what it does is in a regular car, that's like, let's, let's say a front engine rear drive. Hold on, hold on. What I meant was in all cars, it shifts the weight to the front. Yes. In all cars, it shifts weight to the front. Whenever you let up off the gas, it shifts all the way to the front. The problem is, is that in all cars, um, when you do that, it, like in a mid-engine car, it, it'll shift it kind of more to the middle. A front-engine car, it'll kind of, you know, it'll it'll make it, uh, it it'll kind of, you know, tighten up the, you know, it'll it'll uh, it'll tighten up the handling a little bit. But in a rear-engine, rear-drive Porsche, it makes the back end snap around on you. Because all that Instant. weight with no compression on it makes it act like a pendulum. Absolutely, the like like the uh, the bottom of a uh, grandfather clock. Wait, exactly. Before you know it, you're off. And, in the- yes, and so how you counter a a uh, a nine eleven getting loose mm-hmm. is you is don't you break. have to apply more gas. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to apply more gas. Uh there's there's a uh there's there's a thing that they uh that they refer to uh called throttle steering. Um where if you got good enough and you could really kind of feel the car out, um you could actually steer the car not so much with the steering wheel first for, you know, you, yeah, you did use the steering wheel and stuff, um, but fluttering the throttle to kind of push it around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're steering with the throttle and everything. And so it's just, I mean, they, they eventually have mastered it. They 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 have they have doggedly engineered their way out of it. They've also inched uh, the engine closer to the front to the rear axle too. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not in the rear axle, but closer to the rear axle. Yeah, I mean, it still is a rear engine rear drive. Um, and right, no, no, very much so. It's also, by the way, part of the reason the Porsche's proportions in rear, in a nine eleven have never looked right. Because the front wheels are way too far back inset, way much too more, uh, way too much front overhang for the yeah. weight distribution problems they're talking about. So you have to have a big front overhang to make it handle right. Now, granted, that shortens the wheelbase, which is good, but it also makes the car look freaking weird, which is bad. Now, 
I'm going to go ahead and step in here because there's one more thing that's very good about this design. And it recruits that front suspension, which is that when you take away the engine from the front, the front wheels, which do a whole lot of work, no matter what car you're in, especially in a sporty car, that yeah. gives the engineers incredible amounts of room to design the suspension however they want to make that car handle, turn, understeer, oversteer, not torque, whatever it is they want, they can get out of it because they have infinite room to work with. If they want to have um, push rod front suspension, they can, which takes up a huge amount of room. If they want to have double wishbone, McPherson, whatever they want to do, it's all there. They've got they're not limited by the engine or engine bay in any way. No, and 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 I totally understand that. The problem is, is that it it wasn't the front suspension that was the issue. It was as the cars have gotten more modern, it is becoming the issue. But yes, in the early days, it was not the suspension. Yeah, and they, but they've you know just they've had to really just engineer their way out of this, um, and the design over time. Um, and I think Jeremy Clarkson has right, rightfully said so, they just, the, it, it's the same car. They've just kind of smoothed the out the lines. 50 years. I'm sorry? For the last 50 years, it, it looks like the same car. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they've had, you know, they, they've smoothed out the lines, they've given it some more aerodynamics, and, you know, as they've, as they've understood aerodynamics better, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know they've they've had to uh, uh, add um, uh, ad, uh, adaptive uh, uh, motor mounts and, and transmission mounts and stuff like that. You know to kind of shift the weight around properly and everything. You know, so I mean they've so they've they've pushed it to the point of where it's now a very well handling car. Um, I just they've and, and and i guess i'll go ahead and get into the fact of why it doesn't give me the fizzies it's such a precision machine there's um there's there's a lot of engineering into it um the problem is is that there's not a lot of uh let's see here Verve, there's the, I mean, there's not a lot of heart into it, there's not a lot of passion into it. Does it feel like you know, every car is just made to solve the problems that existed in the model before it? Ex that perfect, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. I'm going to talk about this is how we've just for a second. This, this is, this is how we fine tune this. Right. Exactly. I, I think, and, and, and I think this is one of the things that um, the reason why um, and, 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 and BMW and Mercedes and Volkswagen for the most part and Audi uh, and Porsche, basically just all of the Germans it's you can tell that the Germans sat down with a problem 
and they said, all right, we're going to hit this with everything we've got. Nobody leaves until we solve this problem. Nobody leaves until we get this designed or we get this figured out or anything like that. We're just going to sit through all of this. And then they push through it and push through it and push through it. And then, boom, they get it all accomplished. Everybody goes home or, or they go out to the, you know, to the bar afterwards and have a big, huge pint of whatever they want to. And they celebrate. Whereas, but, but what that does is, is it pushes you to think about the problem. Let me explain. The thing that I think gives the Italians and the French um, more that, that people can feel, feel something for their cars, that there's this real passion that comes out from the cars. Um, and I'm specifically going to talk about the Italians and that is the Italians are like, all right, we need to solve out this problem, but first we're going to go have a cappuccino. You know? Well, right. And if, and if, if the problem is solved, what point is that if the car is not sexy? Yeah. But you know, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're, we're going to, you know, you know, well, it's, yeah. and also, you know, it, it, the problem solved is good enough. It, it, it is good. It is good. The door handle is there. Yeah, but it's three inches lower than the one on the other side. It works. <laughs> yeah. Where, where, where's the problem? <laughs> can you, can you open the door? Yeah. Okay, then you're good. Yeah, the car still looks good. <laughs> um, but like you, know. like you mentioned earlier, but kind of glossed over, because this, this is actually a really big deal when it comes to the 911 or inner rear engine car is dynamic engine mount is a really big deal that no one talks about because it's so boring. But the short version of it oh is, is that as you come around a corner, you're naturally, the car's tendency is going to lean away from the corner, right? So in a right-hand turn, the car's going to lean left. So if you take yep. the massive weight of an engine, like a flat six, whether it's turbocharged or not, <clears throat> different another conversation, is... If you take those engine mounts and you make them electric, so they're <clears throat> responsive, and you tilt the engine to the right, it's going to counteract the physical forces and bring the car back into line and help mitigate the, the uh, pendulum effect that's mm-hmm. created, which is a very German solution. I mean, it's it's like and, ultimate and I just and about fell asleep as you were describing it to me. Right, exactly. Moving on. See, see, and 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 I, and I want to point something out. And, 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 we'll, and we'll, we'll get into the Italians later on, but, and I keep bringing up the Italians. So you were explaining that to me right. of how dynamic engine mounts and so forth and so on and everything. One of the coolest things I ever heard about a car. So Lamborghini made the Diablo. And I actually, this, that was, the Diablo was the, the so in, in, uh, in Florida. So I grew up in central Florida. And there was a place in Central Florida, in uh, in, in Lakewood, Florida, uh, and they were kind of this high-end uh, all-arounder. So they had Porsches, they had uh, Rolls Royces, and they also had Lamborghinis. 
I'm sorry. Exotic. Basically, they had sailed exotics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, but basically just a bunch of exotics. And that was the first time I ever saw an exotic car. And I saw the Diablo. And I remember looking at it and just thinking to myself, oh my gosh, there's just something appealing about that. Now, I was about 19 when I saw this. <clears throat> and the, and I'll, I'll explain that in a second. But the thing that was that was very interesting to me is I was talking to one of the salesmen and I was talking to him about the overall design of it. And we were looking at the car on the, you know, from, from the side. And, uh, and, and, and if you want to, Matt, you can kind of look at a picture of it. I already am. Yeah. So you, you see how, how, how the side profile, there's kind of an arch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The design yeah, of the car. Yeah, very, very it's, clear arch from the from the from the front end of the bumper, through the windshield, through, and it's it's like a, it's like a decreasing arch, right? It starts out really steep and then it gets gradually softer as it goes towards yes. the spoiler. Uh, so the design is to mimic the arching back of a woman in ecstasy. <laughs> if that is not the most Italian thing you've ever heard, yeah, yeah, but see. That's the kind of detail and, and, and the kind of passion that they put into it. Yeah. Whereas with Porsche, here's this car that when they first design it, it wants to kill everybody. And instead of saying, okay, well, <clears throat> we're not going to do that again. Right. We're obviously not going to do that again. Instead, they went, okay, so how can we improve on this? And it's like, well, what, you know, and, and the fact that no one ever raised their hand and said, I have an idea of how we can improve on this. How about we move the damn engine? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, 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 no. We can make this work. We can make this work. <laughs> so the thing about the Diablo that, and please, and please Google image this, people, that this is totally worth it. What the Diablo that I find really striking is on the one hand, the, the pop-up headlight version with the headlights closed. Is so much better looking than the later one with a with a sealed headlights. Oh, by far. And the by sealed far. headlight version looks like <laughs> it looks like a better looking AB one ten. Yes. With better doors. Yes. And yet there's something about the car that makes you sort of makes it almost look derivative, even though it looks better, which is really bizarre to say. You know, almost like it's trying to copy the EB one ten in some way. But um but but going going back to Porsche, um, we we would be remiss, especially since you mentioned Volkswagen, if we didn't at least mention the nine fourteen. And <laughs> exactly, that, uh, that, that pause inside kind of says we, we we okay we have to because okay, this is a question of opinion. I would much rather okay. talk about the nine twenty eight. Not yet. Is the 914 a Volkswagen with the wrong badge? Or is it Porsche trying to make cars that appeal to a larger portion of the populace? I 
I think that the the nine fourteen is. I think it's Porsche's first attempt at trying to create something more mass market. Okay. Um, not their best. Um, I know that there are a lot of 914 diehards out there. Uh, when you first see a 914, when you kind of glance at it, the proportions look decent. The problem is, is that the more you look at a 914, the more it looks like a kit car. And then when you realize, oh no, this actually came off of a production line. Yeah. Just think that. It reminds me a lot of what would happen if the Germans built a Honda Civic Del Sol. Ooh. Huh. And which is ironic, of course, because the Del Sol came later. But um, yeah. okay, so, so second question. So is the is the nine twelve better or worse than the nine fourteen? Yes, it's faster, but because it looks so much so much like a nine eleven. Is it simply trying to sort of piggyback on the 911 success, or is it an objectively better car? Um, because <coughs> essentially the, the four-cylinder versus the six. Well, I mean, you know, there was a, you could get a 914 with a six-cylinder. They were rare, but they were they existed. No, yeah, I I, I understand that. I'm just, it's uh. I don't know. Okay. See, the problem that I'm having with all of this is that if, if, if we're all into... To me, Porsche doesn't get interesting until you get to the Carrera GT and, and the your favorite vehicle, the Cayenne. <laughs> Do we do we do we do we do we want to step off that particular cliff yet? Um, I think we need at least one more stepping stone in between. So, can you? Okay. Well, let me, let me let me let me at least talk up the whole the the uh, the 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 career GT before you start bringing the whole party down. I I, I so, think, but the problem is, I think before you do that, I think historically, if we're going to do this in order. I think we need to talk about the 996 and the transition from air to air. Oh, oh my gosh. I just, I feel like I slapped myself. Yeah, the 996, the uh, the car that was absolutely super wonderful and fantastic for the bleak of an eye. Yeah. Yeah, for about six months. It was great. Yep. Um, so the problem the problem is is that we could talk for an hour about the nine nine six and absolutely no one would care. Now we're talking about the nine nine six or the nine five nine. No, 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 nine nine six. The nine five nine is objectively great in every way except how it looks. Um, see, I love. See, that to, to me, it's okay. The best. I said objectively. Subjectively, you yeah. may think it's great. I'm still yeah. on the fence about it. But the nine nine six. Okay, the nine nine six. 
okay. The 996 chassis is the first 911 with coolant cooling the engine instead of being air-cooled. Yes. That car enraged the Porsche enthusiasts so much. I don't know anyone who bought that car. The headlights are referred to as the scrambled egg headlights or the dripping egg headlights. I prefer dripping egg. Um, it's not an attractive car. It's no. The entire driving dynamics have been described as un-Porsche-like by several people I trust. And the car had the lucky... Had the, yeah, it was just lucky that it came out during the first dot-com boom when money was flowing so fast it made water look slow. Oh, yeah. And it was, it is to this day, the best-selling chassis destination of 911 in Porsche history. Yep. The bearing issue, which I'm not going to get into, but had an engine bearing issue that um, nearly ruined the car, and Porsche had a huge backlash, and they had to replace a bunch of stuff for free. And it sent them back a huge amount of money and it wasn't until the boxer started making money, legitimately making profit, yeah, any chance of moving forward from the nine nine six. But from that, but point, that's not the car that put them into no insurance, sort of black financially. Um, but so the no, seven car that put them in black, and the part and the and 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 the the automobile that put them on a solid foundation which everything else has been built off of yeah. is we're not going to get into it <laughs> um, it, is, it is the Cayenne but real quick yes. last finish the, the quick rant is the 997 has been objectively described as being the first great water cooled 911 yeah. Now I when I was at the dealership it was it was during that transition from the 996 to the 997. I actually I actually rode in the first uh, I I rode in with with the Porsche technician. It was the first convertible Porsche turbo in and in, in the state of Alabama. And I and I got to ride it because it the the, uh, the technician after he does the uh, the, the preliminary uh, pre delivery inspection or PDI whatever um, uh, because of the uh, in in and I think starting kind of with the nine nine six but really with the nine nine seven um, the the transmission needs to learn to do and so he was having to um we got out of the freeway and he would have to take these off ramps and these on ramps really hard not because he was messing around but because he needed to get the transmission to learn oh, okay under these kind of side loads i need to be in this i need to be where where, where this is <clears throat> and so we had to do it with all of them and so it was just, it was kind of fun. I got, I got to go along on, on the, on the first ride, on the first drive of it. It's kind of cool. That that's very cool. Um, so time wise, uh, the nine nine six straddled the turn into the twenty first century. Uh, a few years before, a few years after, 
Yep. And the seven started in 04, and the career GT started when? Uh, oh, was oh three. Yeah, roughly. Um, I'll give you a more exact date. Give me just a moment. Uh, 03 to 07, 1,270 produced worldwide, six-speed manual, 3,040 pounds. Yeah. And the engine was, sir? Oh, it was a V10. Yes, it, it was, was a V10. And it, was, it was also, it, it revved so quickly um, that that they had a hard time finding uh, a tachometer that would keep up. Yeah. Um, they, uh, they, they didn't quite go in the same direction as, uh, as Lexus did. Where they just said, screw it. We're going to go with a digital one because we just can't do it. Um, but yeah, but that that V10 is uh, just a work of art, um, and the sound. Um, I I I heard one one time, and the only reason why I know that I heard one is because you know because of a, a, a Ferrari and a Lamborghini. V10s sound very distinctive. Hmm. <coughs> wait, 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 hold on, hold on a second. What Ferrari uses a V10? I'm sorry, not sorry. Uh, Ferrari V12. Ferrari V12. Uh, Lamborghini. Uh, yeah, Ferrari V12, Lamborghini V12s. Um, but also the uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, Lamborghini V10s are very distinctive. In their yeah, sound, like and this was, um, it, I, I heard it, and and I later went online to 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 verify, and it's when whenever you hear, uh, it it didn't sound mechanical. I mean, if, if if that makes any sense. Not really, but go ahead. Anyways, it, it's and it's it just it's it sounds amazing. It just absolutely sounds amazing. A couple of things, real quick. So this car came out 15 years ago, and it came out at 600 horsepower and 430 pound-feet of torque in a 15-year-old car. That's incredible. Oh yeah. And it retailed uh, with a starting price of four hundred and forty-eight thousand. Call it, I don't know, six hundred k today. Just us use round numbers, which would be considered nothing for a car of that pedigree. And um, I'm going to use this actually as a nice segue uh, because the concept was uh, shown at the 2000 Paris Auto Show, mainly in an attempt to draw attention to their display surprising interest in the vehicle and an influx of revenue provided by the Cayenne sales helped Porsche decide to produce the car. Yep. Which leads me to the Cayenne. And <clears throat> despite Zach's statements to the contrary, I do not love the Cayenne. I love to hate the Cayenne. Yes. Because the Cayenne was the beginning of the end of Porsche as we knew it. 
Porsche as a sports car company, as only a sports car company, which granted it wasn't doing well. But the fact that I, I want to, it's some obscene number. I want to say it's like 40, no, a majority, majority of their sales now is, is crossovers. Well, but that's that. just, that's just the way that the world has gone. It's just staggering. They make 27, maybe it's 28, 27 different versions of the 911. Yep. They make Which a Cayenne. Which to me is just stupid and ridiculous, but that's just me. Right. No, 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 it is. Until you sit back and realize, you know, all the what all the permutations are, and you realize that the only 911, that the only two... 911s you can get away with and not be a douchebag are the Targa and the base model. But, um, no, the GT3 RS. No, that's pretty douchey. Um, because that's it's it's because it's a track toy, that's what it is. If you drive it on the street, you're you know, you either have a spine of steel or you're you know, 15 years old. Um, I said the RS, no, no, sorry, GT3. It's pretty douchey, um, but beautiful, beautiful car, amazing, amazing noise, amazing power. I agree, um, and especially now that they brought the brought the manual back. But um, but you bring me to my next point, which is that in 2018, 40 percent of all 911 sales in the U.S. were GT models. Mm. The GT models encompass the GT2 RS, which is roughly what a third of a million, half a million dollars. Uh, the GT3 RS. Now the GT2 RS, that's the one. Well, the GT2 yeah. RS Le- Le- Leipzig or something Leipzig. like that. Leipzig. Um, that's the one that won. Uh, that that beat the. Uh, what was it? Car and driver. At uh, Virginia what, International what? Speedway. Yeah. Or Virginia International Speedway. VIR. Blew away the previous record. Right, right. It was also briefly. It was briefly the fastest production car around the Nurburgring. Um, but the uh, the new Lam- Lambo Aventador SV, <laughs> something like that. But um, um, the Gallardo. So anyway, so um, not the Gallardo. Uh, the Gallardo's old news. But the Huracan Performante did pretty well. Yeah, the Huracan Performante. Um, and now the new, what's the, what the hell, the new Huracan, uh, I think it's the S, SV. The SVJ? No, the Aventador is the SVJ. I think this is just the SV. Super Veloce, so Super Veloce okay. Jota. Oh, sorry, Jota. Um, but anyway, so the, so the 911 GT lineup encompasses only the GT2 RS, the GT3 RS and the GT3. That's it. Those three accounts for 40%. 40%. Three out of 27, maybe three out of 28 is 40% of the sales. That tells me two things. There's way too many people with way too much money in America, which, duh. Um, and the Reagan 911 is going to be an incredible collector's item because nobody bought them. That's just crazy to me. Like, if I could have yeah. any 911 I wanted, you could tell me I could have anything I wanted, I would literally buy 
a Carrera-esque manual with a roof rack. I would. I just... I mean, the only issue I have with the manual is the fact that it has five gears on the top half of the stick and three on the lower end because Porsche insists that the reverse always has to be left and up of first. Yeah. Well, and... and... It's the it's also the the reason why every time you get into a Porsche, um, well at, at least for the most part the 911, the uh, the ignition switch is on the left of the steering wheel. That's the old Le Mans thing. Yep, that's the old Le Mans thing because you used to have the Le Mans start, which they eventually because it was dangerous as hell. Um, in that way, you could jump into the car. And you could start the car. You could, you could push on the clutch and the brake. I'm sorry, push on the clutch and feather the throttle, start the car, and put it into first gear, all at the same time. Right. And Porsche found out that if they did that, most of the time they jumped out to the front. Right. And so it's a inside the whole shot. Right. And and you still you still have to pay extra for keyless entry and push button start, which by the way, isn't actually push button start, but it tries to be on almost every Porsche model you buy. It's still an extra when you can get it standard on a 25, sorry, $22,000 Honda Civic. Uh, I'll go you even one better than that. A, uh, a $19,000 Honda fit EX. Yeah, true. All right. Stick or automatic. Um, Okay. So, we're starting to run uh, over time here, so we should definitely cover a couple of things. Okay, the Cayenne, real quick. I'm going to give you the shortest version of this rant because I've done this rant before. The Cayenne financially saved Porsche. Great. Yes. The Cayenne financially allowed them to make the Carrera GT. Wonderful. Excellent. A+. plus. The Cayenne brought in a huge number of new buyers, 90% of whom were soccer players. Yep. Crap. The Cayenne, the first version especially, but even to this day, is still built on the Volkswagen Touareg chassis. Yep. As of 2000, end of 2018, early 2019, the following cars are built on the same chassis. Touareg, Cayenne, Audi Q7, Audi Q8, Bentley Bentega. And I think I missed one. It's just staggering. Uh, the Levante? No, that's FCA. Um, direct competitor. But that's staggering. You're telling me that the Bentley Bentega underneath is just a modified version of a Tuareg? Yep. And one's 330,000 and one's 30,000? Something's wrong here. Yeah. So, and on top of that, you know, but it makes sense money wise. I mean, it makes sense, it makes sense money-wise, which makes, it, which makes it make sense in a German mindset. Yeah. I mean, it's... But, but the, fact, the fact that, you know, the fact that, you know, Joni Crawford, you know, is, is picking up, uh, you know, Nicholas and uh, Sandy, you know, from soccer practice in her new Porsche. You know, and then, and then driving them back to uh, behind the gate in their little, you know, community in Orange County. It doesn't sit right. 
it's yeah i mean it you know and and when you can so let me uh, so, so let me just kind of show this that is just talking about revenue they went from in year ending 2002 they made 4.8 billion um i think that's euros and by and by december of 2015 it was 21.5 billion So, 500% more. Yeah. In 13 years. Right. And obviously, cost did not jump by 500%. No. Even if cost doubled, they still, you know, are swimming yeah. in, in euros. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, so I mean, that, that really it ramps things up. Because, I mean, you had in 2000, you know, by the end of 2002, production was at 55,000. And by 2015, production is 234,000. So you, it's, it's, it's very easy to, you know, to kind of sit back and kind of go, you know, Porsche needs to remain, uh, you know, true to itself. Well, the only problem is, is that true to itself means that it's going to end up the way of Bugatti, where they got sold off. Yes, they did, and they're not, and they're owned by a much larger company and essentially controlled by the larger. Yeah. I mean, the, the Veyron was entirely at the brainchild of Ferdinand Pike. Yep. So, uh, I can't remember. Sorry. Yeah, <coughs> I think it's, I think I think it's peak. But um, okay, so here here comes the question. Here's a hypothetical for you. Given the models currently available as of January 2019, if you were told money no object that you had to drive one German badge for the rest of your life, would it be Porsche? No. Absolutely not. I think I'd have to give them a long, hard look before I said no. I, I'd, I'd say no very quickly. Um, and the reason why is, one, um, none of their sports cars interest me at all. Um, because I, I'm not going to be one of those track day guys where I go out and I just start shaving off nanoseconds off of my lap times. Um, physically, uh, you know, the, the cars don't strike me. Um, and both of their SUVs, every time I look at them, I just go, wow, that's a very expensive Volkswagen. Oh, yeah, I mean, to be fair, Porsches have the problem from the beginning, but yeah, I hear you. You know, and and and, and I think that's the other thing is that it's it's this weird 
I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I don't want to. I mean, I, and I don't want to. I don't hate Porsche. I just, you know, and 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 I know we've been talking for over an hour about them, but there's just, they're 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 really frustrating to me as a car guy, because I understand and appreciate what they are engineering wise mechanically wise but i think that and i know this is going to sound controversial but if of of all of the automotive manufacturers out there of all of them i think the number if you if you had to say you were given a time machine and you were told to go back and erase one automotive manufacturer from history without impacting anyone else. I think Porsche would be the one that you could do that and not really have that much of an impact on anyone else. Because hmm. who have they gone up against? I mean, who, who, who's, who's their competition? Who's, you know, who, who's their great rivalry? Yeah, there isn't one particularly. I mean, you know. Who, wh- who have they influenced? Who have they, you know, what, what, what trend did they, did they set You know what? You know, what, what, what innovation? What innovation did they push forward to influence other manufacturers? Yeah, the closest thing performance-wise to uh, to a top model nine eleven is an is an AMG GTR, and that's a traditional front-engine rear-drive layout. Yeah, I mean that's that's as far removed from you know a, a Porsche as it gets. So I mean I it's it's I, I, I know it's harsh to say, but I, I just I don't think you know I, I Porsche just doesn't do anything for me and they never have. And I don't think they ever will. So then let's take the same question. So then if you did have to drive one German brand for the rest of your life, who would you choose? Well, see, first off, I have to choose a brand, and then I have to choose a vehicle in that brand. Well, because it's, you know, obviously uh, one vehicle for you, one vehicle for your wife, right? So, and then assume you change them every three years. Um, and maybe you have a, maybe a vehicle on the side because you got some money saved, put aside. I'd probably say Mercedes. I thought you would. Um, just for the fact of they give you the widest range of possibilities. Like I could drive an S-Class and my wife could drive, you know, you know, either one of the big SUVs or if she wanted an S-Class also or whatever, 
but then also you could go with, you know, the smaller, you know, a class for like the kids or whatever. So, I mean, it gives you, or if we just, we need a van, you can get one of the big transporters and stuff, you know? So I, I, I'd say Mercedes, Mercedes, just because of the fact of it gives you the most amount of options as far as that goes. That's right. So, uh, okay. So I think uh, on that note, I think we need to uh, wrap it up. Yeah, absolutely. I know that this is a, uh, this has probably been the hardest podcast we've done so far. Because I think we spent most. Because I think we spent most of the time explaining why we don't want to talk about this. <laughs> By the way, I think I think it's fair to bookend this with with a brief statement that the reason that I said that Acura of the German brands is because everyone loves their SUVs and doesn't doesn't care a single bit about anything else they make. But uh, my, my, I stand behind my statement. Um, if you love your Audi, that's great for you. But um, yeah. You know, outside of the rally history, not much going on. Anyway, Zach, uh, real quick, uh, MZ Car Guys on all the social media platforms, mzcarguys at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Absolutely. Vroom, vroom.